welcome to antibodies this is our 24th episode in the immunology 101 series a segment where we teach immunology joining me today are my wonderful co-hosts ash and koshika how are you both doing hold up wait where's koshika she's probably somewhere being an effector scientist oh boy what did we talk about not making those Weird puns. <laughs> well, she, she's gonna yeah 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 well you know it's they're fine. funny we're scientists we're nerdy and and yeah puns not our strong forte <laughs> but did i just say strong forte <laughs> anyway how are you doing ash i am excited to be here with my antibody you know nobody says that and <laughs> yeah i think we need to make that maybe, joke more often maybe we should make make that joke more often it's more cringier than the other things we say <laughs> our name is antibodies i feel like <laughs> we, we have this is that what you can right? expect yeah exactly yeah well koshika will be happy to hear that even if she wasn't here the bad jokes remain so we are holding <laughs> up and we are living up to the expect uh, our image right yes 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 well the first few episodes were filled with some b-cell fun and a lot of germinal center knowledge let's have a last review before we move on to our next topic yeah so the last episode so in the last episode we talked about the kinetics of light and dark zone b-cell movement within the germinal centers then we discussed memory b-cells which are responsible for mediating protection from reinfection and also an appropriate response to vaccination These cells are poised to respond and proliferate if they are activated again with their own cognate antigen. Finally, we went over LLPCs, long-lived plasma cells, uh, and how we talked about how they stick around for months or even years after the infection and just continue releasing a bunch of antibodies. Well, thanks a lot, Ash, for that review. Now that we have taken sufficient time to describe B cells, and when I say sufficient time, I mean like more than a month <laughs> since our last episode. Yeah. Do you know what's even better than talking about B cells? Um, clearly T cells or NK cells or myeloid cells, really any cell. <laughs> no, 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 no. We're not going that route today. Oh. <laughs> I'm talking about antibodies. We're going to talk about antibodies with antibodies. Ah! <laughs> Good joke. Good joke. <laughs> so uh, that I think, though, is what we should have named the episode today. It's still not <laughs> too late. We, with the yeah, we should probably name this episode <laughs> like that. Yeah, well, I like it. <laughs> we have painstakingly described all of these events, right? And these processes that help B cells make good antibodies. So it's obvious that the next question one should ask is, what exactly are these antibodies doing? How is this humoral response protecting us from pathogens and toxins? And do these antibodies do their thing independently or are they assisting other components of the immune system? You know, now that you mention it, those are indeed some relevant questions. And I have a feeling you're going to tell me more about them. You're right. I was about to tell you uh, anyway. (laughs) So (laughs) let's go back to the basics for a moment. Uh, broadly, we can divide our immunity into two primary categories, cellular immunity and humoral immunity. In the cellular immune response, the focus is on the immune cells, like cytotoxic T cells, or natural killer cells, the antigen-presenting cells, and tons more. 
with a humoral immune response, the focus is all the other stuff, macromolecules that can aid in the defense. And among these macromolecules are antibodies. So if antibodies aren't cells, how do they even do anything in the immune response? Again, generally speaking, antibodies are great at tagging extracellular pathogens and making sure they don't stick around. There's a lot of ways they do this. However, antibodies can't do much against intracellular pathogens. So cellular immunity is almost exclusively responsible for taking care of intracellular infections. So the cells aren't involved in clearing extracellular pathogens? Well, I'll backtrack. Actually, they are also involved in taking care of extracellular pathogens. Sometimes these cells would work by themselves, or sometimes the antibodies lead the way. Sometimes the antibodies can even allow certain cells to migrate to these locations in our body where they would otherwise not be able to enter. For now, let's talk about the various effector functions that the antibodies can carry out. There are six categories of antibody effector functions that we generally categorize them in, right? So the first one is neutralization, second, opsonization, third, agglutination, fourth, complement activation, fifth, antibody-dependent cell-mediated cytotoxicity, and the sixth one is antibody-activated degranulation. So those are some big words and complicated ideas that I'm worried I will forget in the next five minutes. Can we break down each one into smaller digestible parts? Yes, for sure. Um, I think the f it's best if we start with neutralization. This simply means an antibody binding to a toxin or pathogen in a way that renders the pathogen or toxin incapable of carrying out its function. Oh, that sounds like something I hear when I play Call of Duty, like target neutralized. <laughs> that, that I bet that's very similar. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> but uh, don't all antibodies bind the pathogen to block its function? I thought that was kind of what they did. See, that's a great question and a very common misconception. So the answer is no, not all the antibodies neutralize. Let's take an example of a virus particle that requires its specialized protein, we'll call this protein P, to bind to a receptor on the host cell for successful infection. To put it simply, a neutralizing antibody can bind to protein P in a way that prevents this P from binding to the host receptor and therefore also blocks the virus from getting into a cell. A non-neutralizing antibody, on the other hand, will bind to P, but will not interfere with receptor binding. So you can say it's all about the epitope or the position on the antigen where this antibody binds. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, the epitope, the region on the antigen that makes contact with the antibody is antigen-specific arms. Right. A neutralizing antibody binds to an epitope on the ligand, in this case, the protein P, that is essential for receptor binding. I hope that clarifies what a neutralizing antibody is. Yeah, it does. Uh, it does a lot. And that, that really makes sense. So if it's okay, I'd like to talk about the second uh, uh, function, effector function of antibodies, agglutination. Yes. So 
agglutination. Well, I'm I'm glad you remember that word. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Easy to right. It's been it's been less than five minutes. <laughs> well, so yeah, yeah, Ash. Okay. Uh so agglutination. This this function takes advantage of the multivalency of the antibodies. I know you're just waiting for me to ask you what multivalency is. So yeah, go on. Tell us what it is. I'm glad you <laughs> asked. <laughs> multivalency is the ability of antibodies to bind to multiple antigen sites. Antibodies can sometimes bind from like two to 10 antigens, depending on the type of antibody. Uh, an antibody, for example, that can bind two antigens uh, is called bivalent. So like having kind of two hands holding a big flopping fish, fish instead of just one, like the, the protein's kind of moving around or the mm -hmm. pathogen's kind of moving around. You really just want to grab a hold of it. Uh, and then the, the grabbing it with two hands also allow, or up to 10 hands allows the antibodies to form a big complex lattices with the antigens. Um, and so this physically prevents the target from doing anything, but it also generates this huge mass that becomes really uh, inflammatory and noticeable to immune cells. Okay, Ash, if I'm imagining this correctly, it's like many people coming together and joining hands, but instead of forming chain, they're forming this weird, messy structure that locks right. everybody in. Yeah, right. That's a good way to think about it. Um, and it, it because it's so messy, immune cells are like, oh, this can't be good. And, yeah, and right. go to clear it. Yeah, the bigger it is, the easier it is for the immune cells to detect it, right? And right. also everything is locked. So those antigens or whatever those virus or bacteria they were doing, they cannot do that anymore because they're stuck. Right, exactly. Okay, that's. I think that was a good explanation on agglutination. Now it's my <laughs> turn to talk about opsonization. This part requires me to disclose some new information. If we haven't discussed it already, an antibody is shaped like the letter of the English alphabet Y. Oh, it really is shaped like a Y, isn't it? Yes. And at the top ends of the, the Y shape are two distinct binding sites. These are called FAB or fragment antigen binding regions. As the name suggests, this is the part of the antibody that used to bind antigens. The other side of the structure at the base of this Y shape is called the FC region or fragment crystallizable region. The FC region has its own functions. Instead of binding to the antigen, this binds to FC receptors that are present on some immune cells. Ah, so that's how immune cells detect antibodies. They act, antibodies act as a, as a like a linker between the antigen uh, and the, at the FAB region and the immune cell at the FC region. Exactly. And now let's come back to opsonization. Now that we have described how an antibody looks like, the word opsonization comes from the Greek word that means to make it tasty. So here's, here's what happens in opsonization. We have an antibody that binds the antigen with its FAB region. Then we have an immune cell, let's say a macrophage, that really likes to bind to antibody FC regions. Without the antibody, the macrophage may, may not have noticed this antigen. But since the antigen suddenly bound by an antibody with an FC region, 
is shows up. Now this antibody bound antigen looks tasty to this macrophage. So it's opsonized. It's it's a way of saying, hey, macrophage is more interested in it than it was before. Yeah. And we all know what happens when an immune cell thinks something looks tasty. Yes, the macrophage is gonna eat it, or more technically, phagocytose it. Yum. Yep. That's what the macrophage said. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so far we have talked about neutralization, agglutination opsonization and phagocytosis, which are distinct uh, effector functions, but they're also clubbed together because opsonization makes phagocytosis more likely. What else do we have left? So the next effector function we listed uh, is called compl is, is complement activation. It activates complement. Hey, we have discussed this in the past and remember some very horrifying... <laughs> episodes on compliment because I hate it. I hate compliments just because those That's pathways, so funny. Those pathways, That's pathways so funny. are so complicated. Anyway. It, it really is complicated, but I really like compliment. It, I think it's really, really interesting. <laughs> I had to memorize it for my preliminary exam. And you, you have, have you never forgotten those? Because I, I've never forgotten Really? It. Oh my God. I need to find out how you learn because compliments, <laughs> I just cannot remember them for more than five minutes. <laughs> So because we had talked about it in one of the last episode or a previous episode, I'm not going to go into too much detail, um, but in the classical pathway of complement activation, the very first step involves an antibody binding to the surface of a pathogen. So the FC region of this antibody then attracts complement proteins to do their thing on the pathogen surface. When you say do their thing, do you mean form the membrane attack complex and shred the antigen into pieces. <laughs> yeah, that is what I'm referring to, but I was trying to keep it PG. <laughs> <laughs> Complement is pretty cool. So if you want to learn, if you want to learn or remember more detail about this process, you should listen to the 101 episode 16, Pathways of the Complement System. What a compliment for a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> But let's come to the next effector function of an antibody. Um, and this may be the most difficult one to remember, ADCC. ACDC? No, <laughs> it stands for antibody-dependent cell-mediated cytotoxicity. Would you say it puts the cells on a highway to hell? <laughs> oh my God. Well, it definitely kills them. Uh, so when an antibody binds to an antigen or, or something like a virally infected cell or even a cancerous cell, the antibody's FC region is very attractive to immune cells because immune cells are expressing the FC receptors. So with ADCC, natural killer cells express an FC receptor that binds to the FC region of antibodies and sends the signals inside the cell to kill, inside the NK cell to kill uh, whatever it is is binding to. So you see, much like cytotoxic T cells, NK cells are capable of directly killing target cells by releasing a lot of different toxic factors. However, NK cells lack an antigen-specific receptor like the T cell receptors or T cells have in the T cell receptor. So they need to use other methods to identify the antigens. In this case, they can directly, they can kind of, I guess, indirectly be specific for antigens by expressing tons of FC receptors. And then just they kind of hope and, and rely on the wisdom of the antibodies to guide them on the right path to kill the right cell. 
a cool thing about ADCC is that this process is targeted uh, when scientists, um, this, yeah, this whole process of ADCC is, is used when scientists are developing therapeutic antibodies for use in the clinic. Let's say you have a cancer that expresses protein X. You can target this protein X uh, by making antibodies that detect protein X. And then they would these antibodies would bind to NK cells through their FC region. And this way, we're guiding these NK cells and also the rest of our immune system eventually to, to these cancer cells. So you could, you could use ADCC to get rid of very specifically cancerous cells with antibodies. Yeah, see, that's why basic research is so important. Uh, you never really know what kind of unique mechanism will come up that that really has great therapeutic potential in the long run. That's kind of like the whole goal of most basic research, right? Right, yeah. But I feel like a lot of basic research, every every basic research grant has to justify in a way why it will lead to translation. I think that hampers a lot of a lot of these nice grants that because sometimes if you just let them flow, things come together. Yeah. You may not be you may not have an idea how it will fit right now, but eventually things will fit. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. Yeah, that's probably a like a whole we could make a whole episode on on different opinions about that too. Yeah, right. Uh, no, I I can see the other side as well. There's limited funding and there's a lot of people asking for grants. So how do you shortlist them, right? I can see right, that argument sure. as well. Probably we could have yeah. an episode on this. <laughs> we should. <laughs> All right, now let's talk about the final effector function: antibody activated degranulation. So that sounds a little bit like antibody-dependent cellular cytotoxicity. It is similar, except there are different cells involved. So in the same way that NK cells bind to FC regions of these antibodies using FC receptors, granulocytes, such as mast cells or basophils, they can bind to the FC regions too. When an antibody is bound to these receptors and its cognate antigen, it can trigger degranulation of these cells. So what is released from these granules? Uh, there's, there's some nasty stuff over there, <laughs> like histamines, <laughs> pro-inflammatory cytokines, leukotrienes, and proteases. This is actually the response that most often is associated with allergies. So it's basically all the factors that's, that cause the discomfort accompanying allergies. That sounds terrible. I wonder why we even have that response at all. Uh, because like everything in life, it's just not black or white. Uh, and antibody active activated degranulation is protective against some parasitic infections and even snake venom. So you oh. can say that the allergic response is an unintended side effect than being the real deal here. Ah, oh, okay. Okay. So I really think, I think the next, I think I know what we need to talk about next, but I feel like it's a whole other beast that we should do in a different episode. Yes. And we have not touched upon the antibody classes and how they pair up with the effector functions and responding cells, because what all we have discussed today are very generalized descriptions of these effector functions, and we haven't gone into the nuance. So do you think we're going to go into this nuance in a future episode. Yeah, I think the next step is to apply, apply it. All right, then 
Ash, would you like to summarize our discussion today? Sure. It's it's basically the list we said at the beginning. Uh, we talked about the six effector functions of antibodies. So we have one, neutralization, blocking the ability of the pathogen to function. Two, opsonization, or to make tasty uh, and help the macrophages eat the pathogen. Three, agglutination. So this causes the pathogen or toxin to all gloop up together. Four is complement activation activating the complement system. Go check out episode 16. Uh, five is antibody-dependent cell-mediated cytotoxicity, and this is activating the NK cells to mediate the cell killing. And finally, we have antibody-activated degranulation, which is activating the granulocytes for degranulation and the release of histamines and such. Hey, we have covered these six effector functions today. I'm so glad we have gone from explaining all the things about B cells and what they're doing and why, what all the steps are required to make good antibodies to finally talking about what these antibodies are doing. Yeah. It's like this black box, right? It's just like, okay, we'll worry about that later, but yeah. now we're getting to worry about it. Now we're actually getting to worry about it. And they, well, B cells can make all the antibodies they want, but if those antibodies are not doing what they should, it's not all for nothing, right? Right. Well, I think this would be a good point to wrap up our discussion. Thanks a lot, Ash, for this wonderful discussion. Uh, for our audience, if you're interested to know more about our science communication endeavors, please check out antibodies.org. You can also find out about our blogs and podcasts there. If you have any questions or suggestions, you can email us at antibodies1 at the rate gmail.com. With that, I'm your host, Jatin Sharma, signing off until we meet again. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.